Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the incredibly talented Andy Serkis takes us to a galaxy far, far away with the latest Disney Plus show, Star Wars and or. Funny man Lee Mack lends his commentary voice to his new Sky Arts project, Gods of the Game, combining football and opera. Skillful storyteller and awesome actor Ben Miller turns the pages on his new children's book, Secrets of a Christmas Elf. And the oh-so-wonderful Tom Allen turns the pages of his his life story via his new book, Too Much. All of that and so much more to come. Vassas, kick things off and tell us who's first. Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, although actually not that far from Chris's house in like Buckinghamshire somewhere, the latest Star Wars beer moth was created. Star Wars Andor continues on Disney Plus tomorrow, starring our next guest. All eyes on him in the centre of the ring. It's Andy Circus. Good morning, Andy. Well, hello. Hello. Welcome to the top of this hour. Thank you very much. Well, how exciting. You're Star Warsing again. Uh, Yes, I am. I know. I never expected to. I mean, once you've been in that universe, you don't expect to come back as as another character. For people who um, don't know, tell them about your Star Wars previous. Okay, so I played Supreme Leader Snoke uh, in the two movies that were... One of them was was directed by J.J. Abrams and the other one was Ryan and uh, and this is now a TV series and I come back as a different character Kino Loy who is a floor, man, floor, floor manager of a, fa- of a prison ship shop making, steward shop steward <laughs> making parts for some nefarious activity that the Empire is getting on with as they do. As they um, do. So how does it? How is it visiting and working in that Star Wars environment from a telly point of view, as opposed to a movie point of view? Do they compare? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, the scale. Uh, honestly, the sets that we were working on just round the corner from your house uh, are absolutely incredible. I mean, just ev- every bit as, as as grand and epic and you know mythic as uh, as, uh, as 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 the movies. Because I was, you know, I was watching an episode last night, and it's like you know some of the amphitheater shots, which are, they're not amphitheaters, but they're amphitheaters like they're launched pads and things like that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're running up and down them and whatever you know is the, how much of that is built then it's all built I no mean, every, way yeah 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 absolutely but I they're mean, huge those things oh, I know and, and of course there's a big fashion now for shooting in what's called LED volumes which is just all kind of uh, virtual yeah. virtual production and uh, but but the, but this is, is all, the great thing about Andor is it's very grounded and it feels very real and it's human it's a sort of the the, the in terms of the Star Wars kind of oeuvre, it's sort of the most um, human. kind of gritty, I suppose, yeah, and human. Yeah, 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 you know. And so it's all the sets are real. And, it's and they amazing. must like you because obviously they got you back for this bit. So you must have been a good boy on the Star well, Wars I, set. I, I must have been. But I you suppose. do have to be. There are certain things you have to do because, like, my pal of mine, his wife um, is a, is a like a world renowned virtuoso violinist, and she was she was um, commissioned to be part of the Star Wars orchestra, right? Because um, they wanted these parts that only she could play. Yeah, and. 
and um, she 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 said we used to have to sign things. Um, we used to have to sign NDAs and things like that. And and then we would sign those things. Then we'd be shown the bit of the movie that we were going to play the soundtrack to. And then it got so secure that we went to to play. We'd be we'd sign our NDAs, but then they wouldn't even show us the movie. They described to us what we were going to play along to because it was like that. <laughs> That sort of get, yeah, hermetically sealed. Right. Tell us a bit about yeah, yeah. that. Well, no, I mean, I remember the very, very first time when I went into, first time around when I was playing Snoke and going in and reading the scripts. I mean, you literally go in, you can't take anything into you. You go into a room, there's webcams, you have to leave your phone outside, you have to leave your bags outside, you sit down, you've got a limited time to read the script yeah. and then and then you're out. You know, and it's just like, it, it, it's, I, it is, I mean, they have to safeguard it because no, people, no, you know, there's there are wrong drones flying Hang over, you know. There's, I'm not <laughs> questioning, I'm just fascinated by it. I I think yeah. it's good that they do it. Yeah. It's not that they don't trust everyone. It's just that they can't trust everyone. That's right. And at the expense of, you know, a, a, a billion dollar production, but also more importantly, the fans' um, entertainment. Absolutely. You know, the, the, it, two, yeah. the two are as one, aren't they? I yeah, think yeah, it's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you yeah. have to defend it. I'm just fascinated no, no, I'm, by, no, I'm not by how secure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, wow. it's, it's, it's part of it. You know, it really is part of it. And how does it compare to other epic franchises that you've worked Are they all, do they all have the same vibe going on? Yeah, not as much. Actually, I think Star Wars is probably the most safeguarded. But, right. Um, but then, I mean, you know, it's a huge, huge fan base. I mean, massive global fan base. And you don't have to have any um, sort of pixels stuck on you for this one, no, because no. you, you're very much I'm, you, I'm aren't as you? me, as yeah, myself, yeah, yeah, yeah. me, myself, and I. And this, this uh, sort of factory, this sort of um, you know, it's a futuristic. It's a futuristic factory in the future, but it's still futuristic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and you know, I've been to the McLaren factory, yeah. and it reminded me of that. Oh, did it? Yeah, because it does the job, and all the all the machines you're working on, they have to be invented and make them for the show. It's oh, like no. me and my wife are going. It was melting our brain the effort yeah. they put into this show. I mean, it is it is incredible. I mean, it's because because it, it's a prison ship, and I tell you what, I, I've done other prison dramas, but this was the mo one of the most kind of disturbing in the sense that the prison wasn't dirty, filthy bars. Kind of you know, it, it was it was it's white, pristine. it's open, it's pristine, it's metal. It's so desensitising because you walk, all the prisoners have to walk around barefooted yeah. on metal floors because they the only way that they you know their punishment is electrocution um electrification and the reward is is food that comes in a tube you know so it's and and so it was really oppressive and we were stuck on these sets for i mean they're big sequences you know and these walkways which were like kind of test tubes you're, you're sort of stuck on, there's no way what i'm saying is it was quite uncomfortable to shoot <laughs> what about um from a from a, a sci-fi point of view you know yeah. what what is it about science fiction that people have is it escapism is it imagination is it a combination of the two are you a fan tell us tell us about about you you watching it as opposed to being in things like this i mean uh, y yeah because i think i think things like star wars i mean all, all of the the big mythic stories that are being told and that people are really loving at the moment and that goes into the, all the tv shows as well um uh, you know because they want they want stories that feel that have that are relevant that feel kind of like they're connected to the world that we live in in some way that they say something about the human condition who yeah. we are and and, and yet who we've always been who we've always been and you know are likely to be in the future you know people are people but it, you know s sort of they're 
sort of allegorical. They sort of feel very contemporary. I mean, this Andor story feels very, very contemporary with a kind of totalitarian state. That's So Star Wars Andor, episode 10 out tomorrow. It's on Disney Plus uh, via Sky Q. And you can catch up on all previous episodes. Of course you can. Uh, Andy, <laughs> anything else you'd like to say before you go? Um, I would just like, yeah, just, just uh, keep an eye out for all things Imaginarium. There's going to be a lot coming your way in the next, you know, year or so. We've got a few lovely projects coming out. All right, mate. Great to see you. All right. You're a good man. Does Take great care. work. Great lovely, lovely you. man. Uh, the brilliant Andy Circus Star Wars Andor is available now to watch, as I say, Star Wars Andor 8am on Disney Plus episode 10 tomorrow. But you can catch up on all episodes thus far. And The Bastard, Son of the Devil Himself on Netflix. You got it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If I told you he's one of the UK's biggest and most loved stars, I definitely wouldn't be lying to you. Sorry. He's not going out. Sorry. He's here right now to tell us about a new football opera, Gods of the Game on Sky Arts from Monday. It's the return of Lee Mack. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Yes, it's been quite a stressful morning. <laughs> but you've got to imagine that I am that lily pad and then that lily pad got on an electric bike because of a tube strike and the battery went. <laughs> no so way, the battery, battery went. went so I've, and electric bikes aren't good if they've not got batteries in them. They're not no. like proper bikes. Well, they're they? worse than proper bikes. Cause they're, absolutely, they weigh a ton. They've got three gears. Can you still cycle them? You can, can you still pedal them? It's really difficult. Really? It's, like, yeah, it's, like, it's like you've not paid. It would be like a tank that's run out of petrol and you've got <laughs> holes in the bottom that you use your feet for instead. Lee, I love you. Oh, and I love you. I Chris. genuinely Thank love you for you. having me. And I love it's so good that you're here. We're all so looking forward to you coming in. When we saw your name on the guest sheet a couple of weeks ago, it's like, yes, Lee's coming in. Right, tell us about this opera. Right, so I'm in an opera. I know, shocking, isn't it? And the biggest selling point is definitely that I don't sing. <laughs> I'm the I'm the only non-singing part, and I play the, the commentator because it's all about football. Yes. And it's about the corruption uh, in football. I've got to be careful what I say here because they've been very careful to do it in a way that you can't get sued. So it's about <laughs> the World Cup going to a, a, a country due to the fact that there may have been corruption. A questionable nation. A questionable nation that perhaps shouldn't have got it, is what there are things about. But no names are mentioned yeah. and no countries are mentioned. And it's not related to the fact that Seth Blatter earlier this week said uh, Qatar shouldn't have got it, it should have gone to the US. No, nothing yeah. like that. He managed to say it like it wasn't him that gave it to Yeah, to like he Qatar. wasn't in charge. Yeah. And it's a futuristic opera, it's set in 2030. Yes, it Pro is. Probably going to legally distance it from 2022. Yeah. Um, so what was it like? Tell us about the whole process of making... a futuristic football opera for Sky Arts. Well, it was it was very uh, exciting because they're all brilliant singers, genuinely brilliant. Like, in the world of opera, they're, they're big, you know. And they're, it's standing in amongst all that, when you're in the middle of that, these powerful voices. It, it's quite moving, you know. It's an incredible atmosphere. And uh, I, the, my favourite bit was definitely the bit where they got the, the crowd. There's a real crowd singing it, like 50, 60 people, but they couldn't, like, risk rehearsing with them because there's too many people. As live as well, wasn't it? Uh, it well, it was a live show that was recorded, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they used real football fans that they played safe and projected them on a screen, but they were allowed to come on the day of the film and sit in the audience. Brilliant. And do you know what a surtitle is? It's like the opposite of a subtitle, I learned. Okay, you, have it, you have them above the stage so you can read the words of the opera. 
they didn't come on till the second half because it was a mistake. <laughs> and the football crowd thought that was their cue to join in because they'd suddenly come on. And they were all lashed up because they'd come out of the Beano from, on a coach trip. It was a hell of an atmosphere. It sounds like you have a bit of PTSD from this, in a good way. Yeah, I, I really do. But you take everything with you wherever you go, don't you? Oh, I've got a lot of baggage. <laughs> yeah, I, all, I collect all the negative energy in all the things I've ever done and keep them with me throughout. That's why I'm always stressed. You, you know, are. I'm very I, stressed. I remember when I first started hosting the one show, you know, yeah. for a beer afterwards. Do you remember? Yeah, I do. And I had to talk you down from being on the one show. I know, I know. And well, you're, you're Lee Mack and you're amazing. I know, but it just gets, you know, it's live telly, isn't it? I, there's always a voice in my head saying, say the wrong thing. And I have to keep saying, don't say it, don't say yeah. it. And that's quite a stressful. Don't think about monkeys, don't think about monkeys, don't think about monkeys. <laughs> oh, monkeys! I've said, I've said monkeys again. So, um, yeah. So, so we're rehearsing for this and, and, you know, obviously, as it was live, you don't want to mess it up. Oh. You, you don't want to be the one who... Because they can't stop it. Well, that's the thing about music, isn't it? You see, if you mess up... I've just done a tour with David Mitchell and Rob Brydon. Right. We're always messing up. doesn't matter because we just improvise it. You can't mess up with music because if you go wrong, the, the orchestra can't start jazzing it up, can they? They have to stick with the tune. Yeah. Let me go, if I get too technical about opera here. But you know what I mean? They have to stick with the, the, with the notes, don't they? So if you go wrong, you've had it. Right, so so what um, what thread does your character provide to sew what it needs to do together? Well, well basically, I, I play two roles. Yes. I play the man who hosts the the uh, the corrupt event to decide who's getting the World Cup. Right, and then I'm also playing the commentator. And I have to be honest, to this day, I don't know if they're the same character or they're supposed to be different characters because they haven't got names. So I think it was just a bit of poetic license that the commentator is also the bloke Were doing you nervous? the business. Oh, yeah, terrified, yeah. Terrified. <laughs> Utterly terrified. Why are you doing it, Lee? Why are you doing it? I don't know. It's just either this or abseiling, isn't it? All right, we're going to give another plug to your Gods of the Game, available to watch on Scart and now and preview from Monday, 14th of November. It's a futuristic football opera on the eve of the World Cup. What's not to like about that? You're recording the um, the Royal Variety on December the 1st. It will air sometime after that one, we presume. Definitely, 100%. I would 100%. Say quite, what, what Before days, Christmas. What, let's guess, what day is December the 1st? What day is it? Oh, that is a... Because I'll tell you... Tuesday. How do you know It's that? a Thursday. It's a Thursday. Oh, yeah, it's yes. a Thursday. I'm saying it's going to be broadcast on the 3rd. Or the 4th on oh, Sunday no, night. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'll be... I'll be I'll be looking at the edits for for at least a week going, No, I'm not happy with that. Take that out. Get involved in of course that. I will. I'm a control freak. But <laughs> no, you're a perfectionist. Well, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like you've rehearsed that line over the years. I reckon three or four days before Christmas. They get it quite close to Christmas. I, I think, think so. I don't think so. I'm thinking you're looking at February. Wow. <laughs> I tell you what, we'll know it hasn't gone well if it's okay. post Christmas. Uh, it's five past nine. Lee, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. You're awesome. Oh. I love you. And I'll see you at Carfest. If, if I end up going to Carfest and you don't go, I will be livid. I'll, I will be there. It's my name over the tent. Gotta go. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He tells the jokes, writes the bestsellers, treads the boards. He was born to make you happy. His seventh kid's book, Secrets of a Christmas Elf, is out now. And this Christmas, he stars in Sky Cinema's new Christmas rom-com, This Christmas. So please welcome a man who's all killer, no filler. You know the driller. It's Ben Miller. Morning, Ben. Do you know that was my nickname in the in the school football team, Killer Miller. Really? Um, yeah. Did you live up to it? Because I was terrible. I was so so bad. In play... defence, left but yeah. left back. If you in could, all senses of the if word. If you couldn't play football, but they had to sit you in the team for the numbers, you would always end up left back. Yeah. <laughs> It's the worst position. I'm right-footed. Yeah. It's the worst of course, of position course, because you've just on been, the entire I played left-back all my childhood, <laughs> and I'm too, I am also right-footed. You know, you used to dream of centre-half. Yeah, oh, no. 
Oh, no, no, no. Midfield? Oh. I mean, that was like, yeah. Midfield. But, I'd, but right back would have done would have done me fine. Oh, ben, dear. you can come in here for many things. You can come in here for a good time and a hearty conversation <laughs> and decent promo for putting bums on seats or shifting literary units. But you don't. the one thing you can't come in here for is a warm. No, no, that's why I've got this blanket. <laughs> My blanket? I, sorry, I stole Rachel's blanket. It's it, it was just, you saw me shivering, you took pity. <laughs> <laughs> it is chilly in here. I do like to keep it that way. It just keeps everybody alert. It does. It's very good. Always say they always say, don't they? Um, when you're doing a theatre show, yes, uh, keep keep the auditorium cold. Yeah, because it keeps the audience awake, <laughs> paying attention. But you know, so I'm awake and I'm paying attention. There's those stories about uh, the 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 um, very unfortunate World War Two soldiers, usually German, who are found, aren't they? They're they're dug up. Decades later, you know, on snowy mountainsides, and they died of hypothermia. Obviously, for for one reason or other, they've been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And but they, when they dig them up, they all had smiles on their faces because apparently, when you become hypothermic, in the end, you become euphoric and you start to smile. Um, and so that's another reason you might want to keep your theatre cold. Yes. So yeah, yeah. if the play's not that good, if it's a comedy play, uh, you know, you might think it is if you're on stage because the audience is smiling. But actually, they're just suffering <laughs> yeah. deep hypothermia. There's no, no laughing, but a lot of smiles. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben's got another book out. Uh, ben Miller, Secrets of a Christmas Elf. How many kids' books is this now? This is my seventh. Come on, yeah. round of applause wow. for that. Yay! <laughs> I mean, you know, the other six weren't any good, but this is the seventh. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting there. No, you are getting there. It's brilliant, of course. Secrets of a Christmas Elf. All right, so what go? How much can you tell us about this? First of all, I suppose. Do you go for the plot first? Do you go for? A suggestion, an alluring suggestion of the twist first, or do you go for this lovely format you've come up with first? Well, Chris, um, I'd go, well, with form- go with the format first. I'll go with the format first. I tell you what, I love the format because the format is a diary, and I think for for kids, it's a gift to read a diary because when they read stories that are in the third person, brilliant as they are, they have to do it's costs a kid a lot to read a book. You always have to remember that when you're writing for children. It costs them to read. So you want to re- write something that they're going to absolutely love and they're going to find funny and they're going to find moving and then they're going to get a lot out of the story. Um, but you also want to make it... I always want to make it so that it, it doesn't cost them too much to read. And like an opportunity cost, you mean? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, in terms of the effort, it's That's required. That's what I mean, the yeah, opportunity yeah. cost, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, is that... I didn't understand that yeah, yeah. Um, reference. Uh is that something from economics or something? No, it's like basically if you say yes to something, you know, you're saying no to lots of other things and that's your opportunity cost. Ah, yes. Yeah, well, exactly. So With all no the other things. Playing or, yes, or whatever. Of course, yeah. So all the other things that they could be doing, um, how do you get them reading? It's obviously one of the things that we... We think about as parents, isn't it? But with a diary format, it's fantastic because you've got these very short entries, so they're getting easy wins. A chapter can be read in just a few minutes for them and they feel like they're making really great progress. But also you get right inside the character straight away. So this this story is the diary of a Christmas elf, of course, um, but it's a very special Christmas elf because this is Holly, Father Christmas's daughter, and she's a little bit worried about Father Christmas. He's got a lot on. She wants to help him, so she builds a robot Father Christmas. She's great at coding and she's great at tech. So she builds, as many elves are, obviously, many workshop elves are, she builds this robot Father Christmas and she's very, very excited. This is now going to help him with all his public appearances before Christmas. But then disaster ensues because the real Father Christmas gets kidnapped. And suddenly Holly and the robot Father Christmas have to save the day. 
So it's a kind of a sweet story, almost of a little girl partnering with her dad, but a robot version of her dad, to save her dad. I've not pitched that very well. No, you pitched it perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Just back to the diarization, it's, just, it's, you know, if your kids play catch up, they can then read a bit of the book on the day of the book leading up to Christmas. This is it, yeah. That's so beautiful. it's written, yeah. So but In it's, an advent calendar kind of way. In an advent calendar kind of way. That's the way it's designed to be read, yeah. And, um, yeah, so it takes you, the idea is it'll take you in a day. The the diary is this, it starts up sort of roughly now and runs up to Christmas, yeah, so in the big... So like a countdown to the event? A countdown to the event. What like a, a novel way of writing a book. Here's my uh, marathon book, 119 Days to Go, <laughs> which is a 17-week countdown to your... Don't worry, they won't, this is, I'm not going to go legal on I you, know, Ben. I'm I know, not going know, to go legal and on Chris, you. And Chris, what is 119 days before the London Marathon this Just year? happens to be Christmas Day oh, this year. Oh, per- my goodness. The perfect Amazing. stocking filler. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, yeah. I think the two books together oh, make be a awesome. glorious. Awesome. One in each support. They make a glorious stocking. lawsuit. Ben, I love you. I really not do. as much as I love you. No, but I really do. I really do <laughs> love you. Honestly, I think you're a lovely human being, and I think you're, oh, you're only you only bring good stuff to the world. So thank you so much. And likewise, thank you. Uh, ben Miller's Secrets of a Christmas Elf is out now. It's a gorgeous book. It's very funny. It's very exciting. It's very clever, and also there's a lovely little reading format to it. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He is best known around the world for hosting this show while we're on holiday. Annoyingly well, too. Yes, I know. Oh, and he's also on the telly and does award-winning comedy and stuff, and he delivers every time. His new (laughs) memoir, Too Much, was out yesterday, and it's every bit as fabulous as Tom Allen. Morning, Tom. Very kind of you. Thank you, and thank you for getting that audience in. I love the fact. That you're quite rock and roll, aren't you? Well, I don't like to uh, I don't like to brag about it, but I can be Chris, yes. Yeah, and you tied one right on last night with some pals, didn't you? I had a little drink last <laughs> night, and I've got that sort of party voice this morning. Hello, yeah, nice to see you. Um, so I'm hoping to mature into somebody who has a very scratchy voice in their later lives. So Tom Allen's Too Much, his latest memoir is out now. I presume you were celebrating the launch of said book. Indeed, I was. I just had a couple of people around who'd helped me with the book, and it was very nice because if you don't mark things then it's very easy isn't it to, for them to just pass you by and yeah. you don't um, celebrate anything so, so you said you couldn't get rid of them um how did you get rid of them in the end um i think i was just falling asleep um <laughs> and i think the look of i do have to be up at uh, six o'clock in the morning you seem to say you wanted to celebrate yeah. um no it, it was very nice and people very kindly came to see me so i'm always flattered to have people around yeah, of course you are and i have lovely crisps and you now have your own house, which features heavily in the book. Yes. Um, it's very much a love letter to your dad, this, isn't it? Well, yeah, I wrote it. I lost my dad about a year ago, and I knew I was going to be writing a book this year, and I had ideas about things I wanted to say, and then it made sense to contextual- contextualise it with talking about the loss of my dad, who um, yeah, was, a, he was a South London working-class man who had this strange son in me who was this sort of flamboyant kind of Victorian clothes wearing um, (laughs) stand up talking uh, son and um, actually coped remarkably well really Uh, and I never really fit in as a child like with other children I would tell the other children I was an emperor and um, that's very difficult for a you know dinner lady in zone five to deal with but um, yeah I talk a lot about losing my dad and I talk about 
how it's changed my perspective on myself as a younger person and how it's made me reframe kind of who I, who I was. And, and yeah, and I think it's good to talk about however you're feeling, really. Because and you just refer to yourself as a younger person, something you don't really do, because you say as a six-year-old you felt like 30, as a 30-year-old um, you felt 50. Um, you, you do allude to the fact that um, now you feel older. You've always been 20 years older than the, the calendar Yeah, says. I think I was about 46 years old when I was born. Right. And why, so, why was that? I get it, but how come? I don't know. And do you know what's strange as well, Chris, is... I thought I was such a, a freakish person to say it, but it turns out there are lots of people who feel like just it. Form who a club. Just form a club of us, sort of strange. We were always described as a pleasure to have in class. Right. And, um, and um, Those were the days. Those were the days. <laughs> those were the days. But there's lots of children out there, it turns out, who people come up to me and go, oh, my son, yes, he often, you know, will pretend he's a king or will tell everybody he's the king of the world. Or I've got a son who doesn't really get on with the other children at school, but he'd rather talk about, you know, he'd, he'd rather, rather talk about about Patricia Routledge, which was one of my things. Um, and so there's quite a lot of us who sort of see ourselves from a different era. We must be time travellers. Well, I think maybe you are, because the fact that you cite Patricia Routledge in the book and Keeping Up Appearances um, is interesting, because you also cite Kenneth Williams. Now, mm. if I've done the maths, right? Kenneth yes. Williams was a massive um, star in my childhood, but I'm considerably older than you. Stop so, it, so, no, but I really am. Yes, it's true. I'm half a generation, if not more than that, older than you. And so so he was, he was massive when I was a kid but he wasn't massive when you were a kid so how come you know about Kenneth Williams so much I don't really know um, other than my mum has always sort of encouraged me to watch various comedy things right. and so I think she kind of wanted me to watch things like carry on films right, as I a see. child but I think as well I sought him out I think there's something about outsiders if you feel like you're different mm. you you find each other somehow across a crowded world and you sort of latch on to people which is why I think you know, people will, will, yeah, will kind of find their hero. It might be somebody who's been dead for 50 years or 200 years. But right, that's my person. Right. You know, a bit so like... that explains it a bit. So you didn't know him in period then. You could, you've caught up on him. Um, Do you remember him being around? Yeah, a little bit, a little right. bit. But I think he died in the mid-80s and I was born in 83. Yeah. So vaguely. Okay. But, um, but I just sort of remember him being such a character. And actually, he did a lot of children's things. Like he did children's, he did Will of the Wisp and children's... He um, connected with kids hugely. And connected with children because I yeah. think because he was, wasn't afraid he to... He abide grown-ups. Yeah, I think that's true, isn't it? He was somebody who just felt like an outsider. And I think he wasn't afraid to be abrupt with people or to be harsh to people. I think children quite like that because they live in a world where everyone's, oh, you're so wonderful, aren't you great? Oh, that's a wonderful picture. And he went, well, no. And, and suddenly... I don't know. I think that connects on a sort of. He was level. brilliant. So I remember him on Parkinson, on Asphalt, you know, yeah. all the great chat shows. I mean, he was a brilliant actor. He was a brilliant sort of uh, comic artist. He really was a comic artist. He could sort of do anything you wanted him to. Brilliant monologues, things like that. Mm. But whenever he was on a chat show, Parky on a Saturday night, if Kenneth Williams was on, he was. Hilarious from the get go. I mean, I mean, you couldn't. You had to stop watching. He was so unbelievably funny, you know. And famously, he lived in that flat just off um, Marylebone. Yeah, Great Portland Street. Wasn't yeah, it? Great yeah. Portland Street. So over the road from um, Marylebone Road, just on the Regent's Park side. Famously private. Like you talk about that, because you, you obviously you're a fan. Well, yeah, yeah, re really loved him and loved that he was unafraid to be different and to be an outsider. And I think actually the world particularly with social media, encourages us all to be a bit the same and compare ourselves and to sort of always feel like we should be somewhere else or something yeah. else. And I think anybody who goes, no, you know what, I'm just me, I'm just going to do my thing and if you don't like it, I don't care, yeah. is actually very inspiring. And actually, not to bring it back to the 
to me, but my dad actually was quite a lot like that as well and would, you know, if he was having a conversation with someone he wanted it to end, he'd go, I'm bored of you now. And and people like that. People actually like people who are abrupt because they know where they stand. Tom, um, lovely to see you, man. Lovely to be um, here. Uh, enjoy the rest of your book launch. Are you appearing on many, many shows? Well, I have a few appearances, Chris, but none as nice as this, Aww. of course. And he says it like he means it as well. <laughs> Tom Allen, too much. Are you on tour with this? Are you going to take it on tour? And I'm taking it on a book tour. I'm going to be in Manchester on Sunday yep. and I'm going to be in Edinburgh on Tuesday. And all details are at my website, tomindeed.com. And back in this seat whenever you want. Oh, I, well, hopefully at the beginning of uh, the of the new year. Okay, I think you're going on holiday then, are you? <laughs> I haven't been told, but okay, Well, apparently I, you're going on holiday okay, then. Book something. Fine, I've been yeah. told. I will book and I will <laughs> shift my ass. Uh, Tom, lovely to see you, man. Lovely to be here. Tom Thanks Alan, for having me. Too much out now. Hilarious and poignant, says Joe Brandon. Absolute joy, says Alan Carter. Superb writer, says Josh Whittacombe. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. All right, we've heard from a bunch of incredible guests already, but still to come, dear friend of the show and husband to the late Barbara Windsor, Scott Mitchell shares touching stories from his brilliant autobiography, By Your Side. Glaswegian philosopher Will McCaskill dives into his awesomely profound book, What We Owe the Future. And the multi-talented comedy singing sensation Tim Minchin says good eye from Down Under and tells us how you can watch his record-breaking sellout show back exclusively in cinemas. So let's get right back to it. Fasa sees next. From comedy to musicals, to films, to telly, to music, to poetry, our next guest can do the lot and you can see him do it live, baby, one more time. He's coming back to the UK and back with a show that in part looks back called Back. And he's back on Sky Comedy with series two of the brilliant Upright. So please welcome a man too talented to mention. Tim Minchin. Good morning, Tim. Live in Sydney. Nice. Good pun. Good pun. Really strong pun. How are you, Tim? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm so glad you wanted to come on the show to talk about everything you're up to. The last time we talked to you were in New Zealand and you were sipping a glass of wine and you described perfectly what you could see out of your hotel room window. What are you up to as we speak this evening? I'm in Sydney, Australia. I was sipping wine. I don't know what I've done with it. I think probably I got to the bottom of the glass and gave up on it. (laughs) I'm sitting in my office. I'm in a rental house because um, I've gutted my house and uh, I'm staring at um, you on a screen on Zoom. Are we on? I didn't realise we are on. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see you. You look amazing, but you should see me. I look really good. Um, You always look good. You always look good. So, um, so much to talk about. You choose the topic and I'll start firing some questions at you. Oh, sure. Um, The the rise of illiberalism on the left. I was thinking more Matilda or upright, (laughs) to be honest. (laughs) Um, Yeah, Uh, let's talk about upright because you were so, so generous about that last time round and we've gone and made a second season and I, I don't think you've seen it yet and I'm a little scared that you're not going to like it as much Yeah, because I, I need you to like it. No, I'm, go- I'm going to like it. I love it. I already love it. It's so weird because I know it's going to be any good. Uh, we could just, before we move on to Upright, touch upon the fact that you were making this huge thing in America and you, you spent a couple of years of your life doing it and it didn't happen. And I'm so glad yeah. it didn't because it means all the other stuff now has. And my wife calls it a squash and a squeeze. You know, um, Oh. Whilst the things oh. you shouldn't be doing and you're up to, uh, taking up your time and wasting your time, the things you should be up to and are destined for truly are doing push-ups in the car park waiting for your talent. Huh. I really like that as an idea. And certainly, I'm not sure if 
I'm, I'm less fatalistic than that. I'm not sure the world has a plan for me, but I certainly think out of the absence of stuff, out of loss or out of um, some of your goals not working or hitting hurdles you can't overcome, there's always, I mean, the, the, the cliche is one door closes and a window opens or whatever, and I think that's right, and you've just got to know how to grab the next opportunity and, and then pour all your anger and grief into the, <laughs> into the next thing you're making all your fury into the next thing you're making yeah or translate it into super fuel is what you do upright series yeah, two uh, begins tuesday november 22nd 9 p.m sky comedy and uh, streaming is it streaming now can you watch it now no, on now. No, no, it's on not out now. yet. No, on no. now. That's now a channel. Of course it is. Uh, well, I want to get oh, a preview now. of this. Oh, now TV. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so for people who don't know, what is Upright? What's happened in the first series and what might happen in the second series? So the first series is like a, a road journey. Uh, a sort of washed up, hapless bloke is traveling across Australia with a, with a, a piano on a trailer. And he's trying to get back to his mum who's dying, we learn. And he hasn't been home for eight years and we're not quite sure what the problem was. And uh, and he has a car accident with a teenage runaway that, you know, just a rando. And they it's a sort of odd couple thing. And they both have really problematic past and they both have a lot of damage. But it's one of those they save each other kind of stories. And it's really funny and a bit of an action adventure. And it makes people cry like it's... Uh, in the end, it's just about family and about um, taking care of those who need you and about loss and about all that stuff. But it's it's really good fun. And it just went a lot better than we had hoped, really. It just, <laughs> what does that uh, mean? Like, we hoped it would go really well, but yeah. it just was really... I still get these amazing letters from the kind of people you wouldn't expect to get them from, like messages online and stuff from from like 60-year-old truck drivers and 13-year-old girls and just people going that, you know, I didn't know what to expect, but I've never been so affected by, you know, it's just been really good. So we turned around and tried again. And now it's in, in season two, Meg and Lucky, the two protagonists, my character Lucky and the, and the girl Meg, are four years. We skipped four years. And now Meg's 17 and Lucky's in a totally different place in his life. But Meg comes back into his life needing him to help her find her mum who she's never met before so they go on a it's more of a, a sort of treasure hunt they're looking for this lost woman and um leave it there hopefully leave it the there. balance you're telling me too much yeah, Tim. you're you telling go. me too much no more spoilers i don't yeah, want to yeah. know any more than that because i just want to find i want to find it all out as it unfolds right what else can we talk about <laughs> oh my god goodness me only matilda the movie which basically launched the london film festival to five yeah. five star raving um uh Glorious reviews. You know, once again, yeah. has, has Matilda, right, been the, the number one thing in your arsenal that has helped you on around the world, Tim Minchin? I, I think so. And and also it was kind of a, a paradigm shifter because I got known and I was so lucky in the UK back in 2005 when I first met Alex and Rachel and I think that was the year they got married. And um, uh, I... I kind of my whole life changed when I got um, I got known as a comedian, but I was always in my heart a kind of an actor, writer, theatre guy, right? And I loved doing comedy, but I sort of hoped it wasn't going to get me trapped. And when Matilda came along, it, it just uh, kicked down a whole lot of doors. And so I was, it sort of was the thing that not only meant that I could be kind of, I could take lots of different projects and wouldn't be known as just one thing, but it also sort of made me trust myself to write 
uh, unironic stuff and non-satirical stuff and stuff that makes people cry. And, and without Matilda, I wouldn't have been able to go on and write upright because I wouldn't have trusted myself to to play with that sort of really heartfelt material, I think. All right, Tim, I love no. you I love you so much. Have a lovely evening. Cheers, bye. Right, bye, He's Rachel. the best bye, ever. Bye. Tim mentioned cinema.com. Uh, back is in cinemas for one night only Wednesday, 23rd of November, before he goes streaming across everywhere. Upright Series 2 begins November 22, 9pm Sky Comedy. And uh, streaming service Now TV. All episodes will be available on demand. And Matilda hits the UK cinemas on November the 25th. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. He's the real Mitchell behind the most famous fake Mitchell, the little big boss of all the Mitchells in EastEnders. His new memoir, By Your Side, My Life Loving Barbara Windsor, is out now. So please welcome campaigner, actor, author, agent, and also the London Marathon's best ever fundraiser. It's our good friend, Scott Mitchell. Surrounded by Mitchells, she was. Surrounded by Mitchells. Um, how are you, Scott? I'm really well, Chris. It's lovely to see it's you. Great all. to see you. Really Come a little is. bit closer to that microphone. Absolutely, um, you absolutely. You are awesome. This book is awesome. You t- there's some stuff in the book that I didn't know. I didn't know that you flew over to Los Angeles to have dinner with um, uh, Mickey Rourke and Paul Michael Glazer. Mickey Rooney. Mickey Rooney, not Mickey Rourke. <laughs> that, that day will come, by the way. Uh, just tell us a bit about why that happened. I'll tell you why that happened. I was actually a casting director right. for a pantomime company yes. for ATG. And suddenly, it was it was at the time when Americans were quite popular. My boss said, we need to think of someone really kind of, you know, retro to and everything else. To get into pantomime over here. To get into pantomime over here. Right. So I suddenly, I knew Mickey Rooney was in the country right. with his wife doing a show. And I said, what about Mickey Rooney for Baron Hardup in Cinderella? And he went, great idea. So within a few days, we'd booked Mickey Rooney. We told him that Sunderland was just outside London. So we took him up well, to Well, in the, American terms, it is. It is, exactly. Yes. It's not that far. So, of course, went over to his home in LA, which was just an amazing experience. You can imagine this legend opens the door to his house, says, hi, I'm Mickey Rooney. And he was just this amazing little character. He really was. And the thing about Mickey Rooney was, I mean, you knew when he was in the vicinity. I don't know if you ever met him, no, Chris. No, never met him. Right, just this little ball of fire and energy. Yeah. And one of those people that just had something really special. But he always set off my nervous laugh. I don't know if it's... I had this nervous laugh from the age of about 16. Yeah. It was like hysteria. So every time I got anxious, I'd get the most terrible fits of giggles. My doctor had to give me a card. I used to carry a card around with me. Is that Tourette's? Yeah. And yeah. He, it, the, the card said, this patient of mine is due to hysterical laughter when put in stressful situations. I used to have to get off buses if nice. I was by myself. You talk about it in the book, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, Mickey was... Um, Quite incredible, but of course, since then you start you started this thing about big American stars coming over to be in Panto. Is it true that one of the ways to sell it to them is to say, "Would you like to come to do some theatre?" Because they because it is theatre of a kind and it's well, it an art theater, form of a kind. Yeah, they they don't have pantomime as such over there. Well, why so is that? Do you think? I don't know. It's just a completely different genre. Right. It, it really is, and I think they just don't get it. It's one of those things that is really a British. Uh, institution with pantomime. Right. But you sell you it like, do you it. sell it like that to them, the theatre? Well, at, at the time, I mean, I haven't been doing that for a long, long time, yeah. but um, but at the time, yeah, they, you know, it was explained to them through their agents. Right, so Starsky and Hutch, Mickey Rooney, who else do you get? Over? Uh, Henry Winkler came and, over, of course the which was absolutely wonderful. He's yes. a dude, isn't he? Yeah, the loveliest man in the world. He really is yeah. the loveliest man in the world. Steve Guttenberg, yeah. we had him over as well. Um, yeah, just just a whole array of All them. All right, so that's from your agenting um, time, and you're still an 
agent now, aren't you? I'm, I'm still an agent now. I still look after a couple of the East Enders guys. Of course I, you do. I look after Lacey Turner and Natalie Cassidy. There's so much to talk about. I oh know. my goodness me! I didn't realise you were such good friends with Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Tell us about that. Amy, what happened was Amy's family and my family went back years and years. Uh, you know, they they just knew each other from London. I always knew of Amy, but one day Barbara came upstairs to me and she said, she said, Scott, I think Amy's sitting outside the house opposite. And what it was, Amy used to check herself in sometimes to the London clinic near us if she needed to have a little bit of a a freshen up, let's say, and she'd been overdoing it a bit. And we opened the door and she just looked up and smiled, this this vision, this, this beautiful lady, and just looked at us and went, oh, Scott, I knew you two lived here somewhere. And she just came over and hugged us and we said, come on, come in. And she became a regular visitor to the house. And it was very sweet. And I I think she always said Barbara reminded her of her grandma that she'd lost. And these two, I used to sit and watch these two women. So, you you know, you've got Barbara Windsor and Amy Winehouse, both sitting there nattering away. And I... I just used to love... I just used to sit back and oh watch them. Oh, goodness me. It was just wonderful. Can and you Amy imagine, used... Rachel, witnessing that conversation wow. between those two? Cut from the same cloth in many ways. Absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, I, I found the thing about both of them, they were both very vulnerable. Yeah. Both very incredibly famous people Chari- that couldn't walk down the street. Very charismatic. And actually, Amy always used to want to help Barbara learn her lines for EastEnders. So they used to do Pat and Peggy scenes. And they did that, didn't they? They did lot. that. They Can did you that. imagine? I know. Oh. And you know the thing is, we never took a photo. All yeah. the times that she came to our house, we never took but it a is photo. True. This did happen. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you can ask her dad. <laughs> they were both fans of the Beehive as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, cool. it, was a, it was a great mixture. And there's so many things in the book like that. I mean, of course, you know, there's the early days of myself meeting Barbara, which were pretty crazy in, in many, many ways. You've talked and written about that before, haven't you? Not in this detail. Right. I, I talk about things in very honest and open detail. Yeah, yeah. no, it's very uh, candid. It's very candid. And that's because Barbara always told me to. But also it's because of the work you've done on yourself. which a- is, And that's absolutely. the truth is the only the only way to do what you've been through, isn't it? You don't do it any other way. Definitely. I, t- I talk about my crazy days and my drinking and using and everything else and what's brought me around to being nearly 20. 21 years sober and clean, which I never get sick you of saying. You look so well, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I get, no, I feel good. I feel good. You open the book. And by the way, talking to Scott Mitchell, about to say goodbye to Scott and goodbye to Thursday. Back tomorrow, of course. By your side, my loving memory, Barbara Windsor, by Scott Mitchell. Uh, you open the book by saying, one day, Scott, darling, quote unquote from Barbara, when I'm no longer around, they will ask you to write a book about us. Well done for writing it. Are you happy with what you've written? I'm so proud of this book, Chris. It's everything she would have wanted. She'd be so proud that I was as honest as I have been in it. So I can I can go to sleep at night really happily, knowing she'll be looking down, saying, good on you, now get on with your life, Scott. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. So the big gun's coming out to support our next guest and his brilliant brand new book. It's called What We Owe the Future. Um, Sam Harris, for example, that's actual Sam Harris. No living philosopher has had a greater impact upon my ethics. An altogether thrilling and necessary book, a profoundly new perspective on human civilization. Fascinating. It says another an optimistic book at the future that moved me to tears. Uh, many books promise a new big idea, but few deliver one as brilliant as McCaskill's. 
in What We Owe the Future. Fascinating, profound read. Stephen Fry says this book, this is a book of great daring, clarity, insight and imagination to be simultaneously so realistic and so optimistic and always so damn readable, for heaven's sake. Uh, well, that is a miracle for which this author should be greatly applauded. That is the one, the only Stephen Fry. Vasus, over to you. He has got such insight, influence, intelligence that Stephen Fry is a massive fan. Oh, and Elon Musk WhatsApps him when he needs advice. His latest book, What We Owe the Future, is out now, proving once again, till the world ends, that McCaskill's pay the bills. It's William McCaskill. Hi, Will. Welcome to the show. It's great to be here. It's great to meet you, man. I mean, we've, you've been on before, but you were Zooming before, weren't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you here. And Sam Harris, what about that from the man himself? It's cool, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's very cool. I've been uh, overwhelmed by the positive attention. So. All right. Well, it's very sapiensy in as much as, you know, um, different ideas, but as equally as profound uh, and hopefully prescient uh, in parts as sapiens. Um, will it be as big? I really, really hope so. Seriously, people, this is a fascinating read. So it's about long termism. It's about um, things that have happened in the past, unintentioned and intentioned, uh, where we are now, where we've been, what we can learn, climate change that's already happened before. So should we worry about as much as we are now? Uh, the future of the future billions, the future trillions that is within our gift. How many might we be talking, Will? Uh, I mean, I think future generations plausibly outnumber us a thousand to one. So if we care about the interests of future people, then we should just take seriously how great the stakes are when we think about issues that could impact the long-term future of humanity. Okay, what are long-run effects? So long-run effects are those where we can see, even dimly, like how the impact of our actions might continue for not just decades, but hundreds, thousands, even millions of years, where if a catastrophe like a worst case pandemic were to kill almost everyone on the planet, collapsing civilization, that's something that maybe we just wouldn't come back from. And that's an event that could have indefinitely long lasting impacts. So tell us about your poker playing, uh, poker playing friend and probability and why we should consider that and what considerations have been pretty accurately mathematically worked out Sure. So, yeah, um, I give the example of Liv Bury, a poker player friend of mine, to illustrate this idea of expected value, taking seriously both the odds of success and how good success would be. So lots of the risks I talk about are low probability in the sense there's only a few percent chance of them happening, but huge consequence because they could mean the end of civilization itself. And we need to be paying attention both to the magnitude of the risk and how you know, just how bad it would be. Okay, what about humans, uh, our effect on the planet and the, uh, the environment and the species around us? So, you know, we we, um, we quite rightly, um, uh, you know, criticise ourselves for our behaviour nowadays. But we, you know, we've been troublesome in the past and we're still here and, and things are still generally all right. So, so tell us about species we may or may not have wiped out before, uh, moral values that we may have come to accidentally or intentionally before. Yeah, yeah, so... There are many, many species that we've um, eliminated from the planet, and this is an enormous loss for not just our generation, but many future generations to come. We killed off the passenger pigeon. It used to be the case that tigers would roam on Europe, or there were um, uh, armadillos the size of cars. We humans eradicated them. And they are extinct now, and future generations will never get to experience such a be you know, beautiful species. And so that's another way in which we're negatively impacting the very long-term future. 
But because we are part of that world, you know, in a way, that's is that why we're here? I, I don't know. Are we destroying um, the planet unreasonably, or is that just what we would always have ended up doing, and therefore that is nature at work itself? Well, it's a great question because sometimes, you know, you as an individual are not going to be able to push against kind of the grand like forces of um, economic uh, behavior, essentially. And so what I think we need to really focus on are those changes we can make that wouldn't have otherwise happened other, um, necessarily. So changes to moral values, for example, trying to get more people to care about all sentient beings, not just kind of their own parochial concerns, is one of these things where I really think the future could go either way. And if we're campaigning for, you know, a better, more equitable um, world, then those are values that might not otherwise happen and you know we can be the people that make the difference what do you think is going to happen will before you go by the way we're talking to will mccaskill about his book you've got to buy it what we owe the future you have to have this book in your house gone what do i think is going to happen i think we have one of three options kind of ahead of us one is collapse and catastrophe something that will just you know kill a very large fraction of the world population if we don't guard against major risks we face like them engineered man-made viruses and there's never been more at the same time We've exactly. never been more surrounded by our own peril. Exactly. I think that's right. Okay. Um, a second is stagnation, where we just stop innovating over time because we've been uh, unable to keep the process of kind of the search and development going. I think that's also a scary um, situation too. Anything not scary? Anything not st- scary? I think we can carefully navigate the risks we face where, you know, there are some major risks from man-made viruses, from pathogens, and instead we can create this kind of diverse, uh, thriving society that's mitigated the risks but is still engaged in kind of moral debate, moral reflection, is paying greater attention and concern for future generations, but is still able to make moral progress. Do we all agree? What he said, yeah? yeah Absolutely. Okay, what he said. Will McCaskill, thanks so much. Great, thank you so okay, much. Okay, you're very welcome. Once again, this book is awesome. What We Owe the Future by William McCaskill. The endorsements are through the roof. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. The title may be done and dusted and pride of place on Max's bedside table, but it's no San Paolo slumber party this weekend. It's the penultimate race of the F1 season, complete with added sprint race. And it's only live once on Sky Sports F1. It's 4.54 a.m. local time, so... Oh, maybe not then. Softly, softly. <laughs> catchy Crofty. All right, good morning, <laughs> David Croft. Good morning, everybody. Oh, my goodness, me. The children. Crofty, thank you for being up. And I know, you, you know, you, you're on UK time still, but you, you didn't need to bother. Thank you mm. so much. Um, how is Brazil? Um, what's going on? Where is the excitement when everything's sort of done and dusted, I suppose? Uh, people yeah. fighting for seats next year, perhaps. Where's the juice this weekend with the Brazilian Grand Prix on Sky Sports F1? OK, uh, first and foremost, Brazil is dark at the moment because it is first thing in the morning. And yes, I'd love an ice cold lager, but I think at five to five in the morning, morning that it's a little too early we'll wait until later uh, the juice is that we go to the track uh, ladies and gentlemen that was ranked number one for overtaking in 2021 so if you like uh, drivers making moves sao paulo and interlagos is the place to do it 56 passes last year and we've had more overtaking this year because of the new regulations and um, i think it is lewis hamilton's best chance of the last two to keep alive his uh, his record of having won 
Uh, at least one race in every season he's competed in. It's another great chance for Max Verstappen to extend that winning record. 14 wins this season, uh, more than any other driver in a single season. He's got more points than any other driver in a single season. Um, and he's looking rather relaxed. And, uh, well, other than the sprint race, has no distractions this weekend. He's not a fan of the sprint races. And I tend to agree with him. Because he says he can't go out and take risks because there's more points in the Grand Prix and he doesn't want to damage his chances in the Grand Prix. When are they going to have the sprint races separate to the World Championship that we can really, really enjoy them? And the drivers can go out and not really care what happens in case they get a damage or a crash. How was Las Vegas? <laughs> Las Vegas was great. Um, well, it was great for me. I, I really enjoyed it. Checo Perez was out there. He said it was a, a wonderful experience, but he lost far too much money at the casinos. So I need to ask him exactly how much he did lose. Uh, it, it's still on his mind a few days later. Vegas is going to be awesome. The, the cars going down the strip. You know, just imagine racing down the strip with those Bellagio fountains kind of going off in the background. It looked utterly spectacular. The killers on Saturday night were phenomenal. Uh, Brandon Flowers was in uh, was in fine voice there. Uh, we all had a very good time. Tickets are pretty much sold out, but don't worry, I've still got yours locked away in, in, in my room. Hang so on a minute. Fine. Back the truck up. Tickets for next year's inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix are almost sold out already. Yeah, I think they are pretty much gone. That's impressive. Uh, such has been the demand. That's yeah. impressive, isn't it? Such has been the demand. Okay. Yeah, but this is... It's going to be the most hyped race ever, and it will deliver on that hype. Trust me, it's going to be mega. Formula, Formula One. Who would you know? I mean, you know, we, you and I, love Formula One. We always have done through its mm. highs and its lows and its twos and its throws. But who would have dreamt a couple of years ago it would be this successful? You know, just a couple of years on. Uh, well, this is it. Twenty-four races next year, and and it's not just Vegas that's selling out. It's all selling out. I Silverstone know. this year, you know, the, the website crashed because of the demand, um, and it's new fans. I was I was talking to someone last night actually who was saying, you know, I've, I've got two kids who consume very differently uh, Formula One, and I think with Drive to Survive, I think with with what we do at Sky with what the teams do, with, with the explosion in media coverage, there are so many ways to enjoy your F1. You can dip your toe in. If you want a bit of highlights, you can go full on in if you want the full adventure. Um, and, and it's just suiting all parties at the moment, coupled with, I think, some of the best racing drivers we've had ever uh, in the sport and young racing drivers so that we're set for the future as well. Uh, it's, it's all looking very healthy. But what we don't want is another season like this next year where, where one team and one man you know, dominates. We, we, we actually do like a bit of variety. So the, uh, the winter message is Mercedes, Ferrari, come on. Up your game. Let's see what you can do next year. I can't believe in that sweep of a mitigation as to perhaps why F1 is now more popular than it's ever been. You <laughs> left out your regular slot on the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Surely this is the tipping point right here, right now. Chris, it is not for us to go out and say that this is the most oh, yes, part it is. of anyone's day. <laughs> oh, fair enough, it is. If I could get up and out of bed early, so can you. This is the best thing oh, of the weekend. Mate. Uh, listen, um, <laughs> safe home. Have a great Brazilian Grand Prix and we'll talk to you for the last one. All right? Yeah. I'm going straight to Abu Dhabi. I'm putting my feet up by the pool and I'm going to look forward to the last race. Have a great weekend, you guys. All right. Thanks so much, Crofty. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.